Hello and welcome to Genetics Unzipped, the Genetics Society podcast with me, Dr. Kat Arney. In this episode, supported by the Institute of Genetics and Cancer at the University of Edinburgh, I sit down with Professor Bob Hill to take a look at the story of our favourite gene. We've all got one, right? From six-toed cats to cyclops lambs, and of course, its fabulous name, the sonic hedgehog gene has a fascinating history, as well as a whole bunch of interesting science behind it. It all started with a photo of a cat. I was hiding at the back of a scientific conference at the Royal Society in London when a cuddly-looking cat with unusually big feet caught my eye. This is a Hemingway cat, said the lecturer, pointing at the animal on the large screen behind him. They have six toes, they're polydactyl. Ernest Hemingway was said to be fond of them, and they still live on his estate in Florida today. And here, he poked at the computer, changing the slide to one covered with photos of misshapen human hands. A polydactyl children with extra digits. It's the same genetic mistake that causes them. Looking at a six-toed cat or a six-fingered human, a natural assumption might be that it's due to a fault in a gene. But it's not. In fact, the cause lies in a faulty region of DNA that acts as a control switch, normally turning a gene on at the right time and in the right place to direct the formation of fingers and toes as a baby or kitten grows in the womb. Not only that, but the switch is miles away, in molecular terms, from the gene it acts upon. Learning about the Hemingway cats and their broken switches got me thinking about my own understanding of how genes work and how I explain it to the public through my work as a science writer and broadcaster. Now, if you've ever heard me give a talk about the wonders of genetics, you might well have heard that passage before. It's the very start of my first book, Herding Hemingway's Cats, describing the event that set me off on a scientific odyssey to find out how our genes work. It turns out it's really complicated, so you'll have to read the book to find out what I discovered. Throughout the whole process, I never lost sight of the amazing phenomenon that this researcher was describing, of how a single DNA letter change in a control switch for a gene could have such an impact, whether in a human hand or a cat's paw. The gene itself is none other than Sonic Hedgehog, not only a strong contender for the Best Named Gene Award, but a remarkable molecular entity whose influence goes deep within our bodies and stretches out across the animal kingdom. And that researcher whose presentation so entranced me at the Royal Society? Oh, okay. I am Bob Hill. I'm a professor at the MRC Human Genetics Unit associated with the University of Edinburgh, and I am a geneticist and a developmental biologist. So we got interested in extra-toed cats because of mutations we had uncovered in human. Okay, and so it really started from the aspect of understanding mutations that cause extra digits in human. And so from there, we were interested in, you know, we knew that there were chickens with extra toes, and I had learned that there were cats running around, especially in the, in, in the U.S., that had extra toes. And one of the really popular kind of group of cats that people knew a lot about were the Hemingway cats. So the Hemingway cats are a group of cats 
that are taken care of and live around Hemingway Home in, in Key West, Florida. The original six-toed cat was a gift to Ernest Hemingway by an old sea captain, apparently. An old sea captain friend of his gave him this cat that had extra toes. I think it was called Snow White or Snowball. So Hemingway had kept that cat. Actually, I think he got it in Cuba when he moved to Key West. He took the cat with him. And of course, it bred with other cats in, in the area and kind of bred this defect that caused extra toes. So around Hemingway's house is a group of about 50 or 60 cats. About half of those have extra toes on their front paws. And so those are the Hemingway cats. Across the U.S., there are other groups of six-toed cats. And one of the main ones is a Maine Coon cat, which are these huge cats, originally probably derived in Maine, and, and therefore the name. And so they, they're from the, the northeast side of the United States. And one of the kind of variants that had been bred into these Maine Coons is six toes. So it's a common variant that you see in Maine Coons as well. And then there are others like the Pixie Bob that also have six toes. Before we go any further, I just want to briefly tell the story Bob told me about why these so-called Hemingway cats were so popular with seafarers. One idea was that their large paws made them exceptionally good mousers, always useful to have on board a boat. Another was that their extra toe could act a bit like a thumb, enabling them to grab onto the rigging when the seas got rough, preventing them from being swept overboard, apparently. But probably the most likely explanation is that sailors are just really superstitious. And what's more lucky than a cat with five toes? A cat with six toes. But what's actually going on? Bob and his team set about finding out. We were interested, and this must be 15, 20 years ago, we were interested in specific developmental processes. And we're interested in developmental processes that are involved in defining discrete patterns during development. And of course, digits is, is a really nice pattern to study because digits are fingers or toes. And in the mouse, we did all this work in the mouse, of course, the toes on your paw. There's a very nice pattern of a, of a bone, and then there's a space, and there's another bone, bones which make up the finger or the, the, the toe, then a space, then another set of bones in the space. And so it's, it's a nice pattern, and, and, and that is obviously genetically defined. Probably in the 1990s, actually, other groups established the genes that were involved in defining that pattern, and that gene was the sonic hedgehog gene. Okay, so we became very interested in Sonic Hedgehog because, you know, this fit into our interests very well. So one way of trying to look at pattern, of course, is trying to look at mutant forms of the pattern. And in the mouse, there are probably five or six really good mutations that give you extra toes. So the question was, okay, now how do you get extra toes? We know that Sonic Hedgehog defines the normal pattern. Is it involved in this abnormal pattern? And, and we found, of course, that it, it is. So it's a process that causes production of sonic hedgehog in the wrong place in the limb during development. What was really interesting about this work was it wasn't a mutation in the gene. Okay, so it's not a mutation in the gene. It's in that stretch of DNA that decides where the gene is going to be expressed in the limb bud. And you have a mutation in this little stretch of DNA. The protein is now made in the wrong part of the, the limb, and the limb loses some of its information and starts making too many toes. Okay. And we can go deeper into that as well. 
So essentially, it was misproduction of Sonic Hedgehog that was causing the extra toes. So we found that first in mouse, and then we could show that in human. And then we got a hold of some six-toed cats and showed that it was the same type of mutations that was causing the defect in cats. So one series of mutations that cause it in mouse, human, cats. We now know it's also in chickens. Most recently, we looked at guinea pigs with extra toes, and they have mutations in the same structure DNA. The most puzzling thing for Bob and his team to figure out when they were searching for the six-toe mutation was the fact that the change isn't actually in the sonic hedgehog gene itself, but is in something known as an enhancer, a stretch of DNA that acts as a kind of control switch, which turns the gene on at the right time and in the right place to make the right number of toes in a developing limb. And that wasn't easy to find. So original work had mapped where this mutation should be. And we started working on this and actually we worked for several years before and knowing where the mutation was before we realized that what we were looking at was a switch for Sonic Hedgehog. And it's because the mutations in the switch are a long distance from the gene. So the gene produces the protein. This switch decides when that gene is going to be producing the protein. And that switch is a million base pairs away. Okay, and that is a very long distance. And actually, not only that, but it also sits inside another gene. So that's really very confusing. So you have this switch sitting inside another gene, and you start working on this other gene thinking that is probably the one that's causing the, the, the... extra digits. And of course it's not. So it's physically linked, but a very long distance. And so somehow it has to convey all the information that is in this switch to this gene, which is so far away. So which is a million bases away. And that was astonishing. At that point, that was really quite an astonishing finding. Uh, And we're still working on that as well. We don't have time here to go into all the intricacies of how this long distance control works. You'll definitely have to read my book if you want to know more about that. But anyway, by this point, you're probably thinking that Sonic Hedgehog is some kind of toe gene, right? Wrong. So Sonic Hedgehog has a role in lung development, gut development, brain development, limb development, the development of your vertebra, left-right asymmetry of your organ systems. It's just, it just has a huge multitude of roles. This multifaceted role in development comes down to the kind of gene that Sonic Hedgehog actually is. It's not a gene for making toes, lungs, brains or anything specific. Instead, the gene encodes the instructions for making a kind of molecular messenger known as a signalling molecule, which seeps out of the cells where it's made and tells their neighbours what to do. Cells nearby get a big dose, so they do one thing, but cells further away get a smaller amount of Sonic, so they do something else. As you might expect for such an important developmental regulator, genetic alterations that affect the Sonic Hedgehog gene can have profound consequences. A single DNA letter change in the control switch that activates Sonic Hedgehog in the developing limb can give a cat or a human an extra digit. But bigger changes in this switch can lead to a complete lack of limbs altogether. So it's not surprising that significant changes in the gene and its control switches have significant effects. It causes a condition called holoprosencephaly. And those affect predominantly 
the face and the head and the brain. So most of it's kind of the anterior part of the animal. And because sonic hedgehog is expressed along the midline of most of these, these organ systems, what happens is the midline is essentially missing. And it brings all those structures laterally closer together. So you can imagine if you're affecting the midline of the face, you're going to be missing all those midline structures. And what it does is bring the two eyes together until they essentially fuse, until you have a single eye. Okay, and that's called cyclopia. And that's the most severe form of the mutation, of the loss of sonic hedgehog, of this condition called holoprosencephaly. It's this cyclops condition, cyclopia, that starts another strand of the sonic hedgehog story, taking us back to an Idaho sheep farmer's field in the 1950s. There were farms along this certain hillside in Idaho where they were picking up a lot of defects in stillbirths in sheep during the lambing season. And the worst defects that they were seeing was cyclopia. So it's a really severe form of holoprosencephaly. And this, of course, before we had the molecular biology, we had the genetics. And uh, the USDA decided to try to see what, if they could establish what was happening. And it turns out it was due to the fact that there was an abundance of this plant called a corn lily. And a corn lily makes tons of a molecule called cyclopamine, named obviously because it causes cyclopia. And the sheep were eating that. And it turns out, as we learned later, is that it's a block of sonic hedgehog function. We'll come back to why the discovery of chemicals that can interfere with sonic hedgehog are so useful a little later on. But first, we really need to address the elephant, or rather, the hedgehog in the room. Why on earth is this gene called sonic hedgehog in the first place? You're listening to Genetics Unzipped, the Genetic Society podcast, and thanks to the Institute of Genetics and Cancer at the University of Edinburgh for supporting this episode. Find us online at geneticsunzip.com and on Twitter at geneticsunzip. And while you're at it, why not tell a friend so more people can discover and enjoy the show? Hedgehog was originally described in a very large genetic screen done in Drosophila, in the fruit fly, the common fruit fly, Drosophila melanogaster, which is a very common and very popular um, genetic system. Essentially, it was a mutation in Drosophila in which the embryo looked like a hedgehog. Okay, so normally a Drosophila embryo is kind of elongated and has a nice group banding pattern of bristles. If there's no hedgehog, if there's mutations in, in hedgehog, what happens is it's shortened, it becomes almost rugby ball shaped, and bristles cover the whole thing. And so it looks like a hedgehog. And so it's called hedgehog. Once the hedgehog gene had been found in fruit flies, the hunt was on to see if it was in mammals too. It turns out that mice have three versions of the hedgehog gene. One became known as desert hedgehog. Another was dubbed Indian hedgehog. And the third? About the same time, this new, <laughs> at that point, what well, was a new um, computer game, Sonic the Hedgehog had just come out. And they say in their paper that they named it Sonic Hedgehog based on this new computer game. So it's actually named after Sonic the Hedgehog, the computer game. But, you know, we could have ended up with Hedgehog 1, 2, and 3, and that would have really been boring. So I would take silly over boring, I think, any day. 
We can thank Bob Riddle, one of the researchers who discovered the mammalian hedgehog genes, for this one, as he apparently spotted the infamous blue character in one of his daughter's comic books. And there's even a rather sweet, if possibly apocryphal story, about one of Riddle's colleagues being taken aback by seeing that their new genetic discovery was so important that McDonald's had based a Happy Meal on it. While this moniker was amusing, it caused a lot of discussion in the genetics world about the implications of naming a gene with such profound impacts on human development after a cartoon character. So, as is the case with most of our genes, the human version of Sonic Hedgehog goes by the more staid initials SHH. The fact that we find Sonic Hedgehog, or versions of it, in everything from fruit flies to mice to sheep to humans, tells us that it's probably pretty important. And that it has probably been around for a fair old while. The hedgehog function has been conserved from arthropods, so we're talking about insects, so from Drosophila, as I was talking about earlier, all the way up to human, all the way to mouse, human, to all the vertebrates. So it has a fundamental role in development in all of these, these animals. So it's been conserved for hundreds and hundreds of millions of years. So if we talk about fish, amphibians, reptiles, and birds, and mammals, it has a central role in development of all these, and a very similar role in all of these classes of vertebrates. Where things get really interesting is when you realise that not only is Sonic Hedgehog doing the same kind of thing in all the organisms it's found in, but that the way it's controlled is highly conserved across species too. This goes deep. What's interesting is how you regulate the production of Sonic Hedgehog. And that's what's interesting in evolution. So you have this constant, really, which is the gene. But how you make that gene and where you make that gene in the embryo, that's what's important for evolution. And a really good example of that, and actually, there's two, there's two very good examples of this. So we were talking earlier about the enhancer that's responsible for fingers and toes. So this is the enhancer that turns on Sonic Hedgehog that makes sure that Sonic Hedgehog is produced during limb development. That enhancer you find in fish, okay, and of course, fish don't have fingers and toes. But if you don't have that enhancer in fish, then you don't get fin buds, and they don't get fins. So the program that derives your fingers and toes is actually found in fish that don't have fingers and toes. Secondly, another really very interesting aspect of the evolution is that when you look at snakes, and this is only in the boa constrictors and the pythons, if you look at snakes, they have inactivating mutations in this enhancer. And that's one of the driving mutations as to why those snakes don't have limbs, why they are limbless. And it all falls on this one single enhancer. So evolution's interesting. It's about how and where you produce the protein more than how you change the protein. And that right there is why I love developmental genetics and evolution. The same gene, turned on in different times and places as an organism grows in the womb or in an egg or as a larva, is playing a fundamental role in patterning body parts and has helped to shape species throughout evolution. And that leads to some pretty interesting experiments you can do thanks to genetic engineering if you start switching these bits up 
and mixing them across species. This is an experiment we've done and others have done. If you take the element out of the fish and replace the mouse element with that, you get normal fingers and toes. So from 400 million years ago, it has all the information it needs to give you fingers and toes, even though the fish doesn't have it. To me, that's amazing. And this leads us neatly on to another mix and match experiment that Bob and his team tried. Now bats, now bats are weird. Bats are really, really neat animals. And of course they have this highly specialized limb, which is a wing, quite different from a bird wing. And it really is kind of a, a modified for, it's a highly modified for them. And so the bones that make up, predominantly make up the, uh, the wing are essentially from the, the toes. So it's just elongated toes and then the skin between them. What happens in bats when you look at sonic hedgehog is that they do something a bit different with sonic. So if you look at their limb buds, sonic hedgehog comes on in the same place and at the same time as you would expect to see it in mouse, in the, in the developing limb bud. Then it goes off, and then it comes back on. Okay, and so it comes on in a different place in the limb bud. So we were very interested in this. And then if you look at their enhancer that drives the limb expression, you find that there are some changes. There's about 14 different nucleotide changes in the bat enhancer compared to the mouse enhancer. So we decided, okay, what would happen if we actually took the bat enhancer and put it in mouse? Could we make mice with extra long digits, some that would fly around their cages? And so we put that into the mouse. And what we did find was that we got the same pattern of expression as we got in the bat. So in the mouse now, sonic hedgehog comes in the right place. But then it comes on again, more distal. It comes on where you'd see it in bats. But it doesn't have the same effect. And the really weird thing that we got with the animals is that we got mice that had two elbows. So what it was affecting was the long bones rather than the digits. So I guess the bottom line really is sonic is very potent. It's a very potent signaling molecule. And if you express it in the wrong place in the species, it just does some, some very weird things. The potent ability of sonic hedgehog to make cells do things is both a blessing and a curse. In development, switched on at the right time and in the right place, it's essential for building a baby. But if it's activated in the wrong place, at the wrong time, then that causes trouble. And the result of that, especially in childhood, is that it can cause childhood tumours. So hedgehog and its pals, the things that operate with hedgehog that make sure hedgehog functions, mutations in, in these in children can cause uh, a tumour called medulloblastoma, which is a, is a brain tumour. It causes rhabdomyosarcoma, uh, which is a tumour of soft tissue. And misproduction of sonic hedgehog can cause these tumours. And if you have drugs that can interfere with the process, then you can treat these tumours. Remember cyclopamine, the chemical in the corn lilies in that Idaho field, which inactivated sonic hedgehog signalling and caused cyclops lambs? Well, tweak it a little bit and you've got vismodigib, a powerful drug for switching off aberrant sonic hedgehog in rare childhood brain tumours and in much more common adult basal cell skin cancers. And that's not the only medical application of this very special gene. I mean, sonic hedgehog is obviously a very interesting gene. 
But, you know, there are a number of genes that are expressed approximately the same time that really have very profound functions in the embryo. And so trying to understand how these genes work and how they interact and the network that these genes act in during these times in development will help us understand where our, how our organ systems develop. What is the basis of, of development of organ systems? And of course, this is very important in terms of therapeutics if you want to start thinking about it. You know, can we make extra bits of tissue to do therapeutics? At the moment, we can go from single stem cells, and if you treat them right, and you put them in the right nutrients and stuff, and you can make them grow into eyes, you can make them grow into very small eyes, very small brains. We're trying to make them turn into limb buds, into limbs, kidneys and livers, people are particularly interested in. So um, it's important to understand the whole gamut of genes that are involved in that differentiation to understand that you are actually making the type of tissues that you, you want to, to make. And if it's not, whether you can manipulate those systems so that you can guide cells into the right differentiation process. So it's important to understand the basis of early embryogenesis, of early development, to understand some of these processes. If we're ever going to go into the tissue replacement field, I think we need to understand the basis of what happens to cells. We've talked a lot about the sonic hedgehog gene and its impact, not just in medicine, but in development. But as we started to wrap up our conversation, I wanted to ask Bob about the impact on people with alterations in their sonic hedgehog gene, who are more common than you might think. So the percentage of people that are born with limb abnormalities is about one in a couple of hundred births and probably with polydactyly, it's about one in 2,000. Okay, so it's a relatively frequent birth defect, having the, having the extra digits. A lot of people who do have the extra digits have them removed. Okay, and so surgically, they can be removed and they can be surgically fixed, certainly so they're not unsightly and so it doesn't look strange. There is a family in Brazil, there was a BBC documentary on this family in which half the children, there's about three generations and about half the children have extra digits. And they see this as a good thing because they're musicians. So they've shown one, one of the children who had the six fingers plays a guitar. So he's learning six finger picking rather than five finger picking, you know, and so he can do more with the guitar than, than a normal person. One of the children likes to play the piano and has quite a reach across the, the uh, keyboard. One plays soccer, plays football, and he has to have special gloves made for him. So he has an extra finger and, you know, and he feels this is an advantage. So there are, you know, there are some communities that see it as a good thing. And, you know, that it's good that they have extra digits. But the, the problem with some of the mutations that cause polydactyly is that it's not just a simple, you add an extra digit. And there can be other bone abnormalities, depending on the mutation, other more severe bone abnormalities that can't be fixed by the surgeon. And, and so in that case, yeah, they can be quite detrimental. Finally, I want to tell you about what happened one day when I was giving a public talk about the Hemingway cats and their genes, probably in a pub somewhere. A man called George Malinich came up afterwards and told me a wonderful story about his research with feral pigs in Papua New Guinea back in the 1980s. Some of them were polydactyl, born with extra toes like the Hemingway cats. 
Well, occasionally he would see what he described in his paper as autocephalic homozygous monsters. In other words, cyclops piglets. It sounded to me like a classic case of a sonic hedgehog mutation, so I put him in touch with Bob Hill to see if there were any samples available for DNA testing. Alas, George had unfortunately kept only one sample from the pigs, which had been boiled during the preservation process, making it unlikely that DNA could be successfully extracted. And because he hadn't been back to the island for several decades, it seemed unlikely that he'd be able to get another sample. So, if anyone out there knows a scientist on Papua New Guinea with access to a DNA sequencer and who fancies going to search for polydactyl pigs, please do drop me a line at podcast at geneticsunzip.com and we can try to solve this genetic mystery and, you know, maybe get a paper out of it. If you are curious to know more about Sonic Hedgehog and how our genes work in general, then do check out my first book, Herding Hemingway's Cats, which is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook from all good bookstores and the evil ones too. And you can also check out the short programme I made about this so called Cyclops gene for my BBC Radio 4 series, Ingenious. You can find the link in the page for this podcast at geneticsunzip.com. That's all for now. Thanks to Bob Hill from the MRC Human Genetics Unit within the Institute of Genetics and Cancer at the University of Edinburgh for chatting with me for a very, very long time about Sonic Hedgehog. Thanks also to the Institute of Genetics and Cancer for supporting this episode and to Dee Davison for setting it all up. We'll be back next time finding out how to harness the power of genetics for everyone, from tribal communities to inner cities to whole continents. For more information about this podcast, including show notes, transcripts, links, references and everything else, head over to geneticsunzip.com. You can find us on Twitter at geneticsunzip. And please do take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It does make a difference and it helps more people discover the show. Genetics Unzipped is written and presented by me, Katani. It's produced by First Create the Media for the Genetic Society, one of the oldest learned societies in the world dedicated to supporting and promoting the research, teaching and application of genetics. You can find out more and apply to join at genetics.org.uk. Our theme music was composed by Dan Pollard, our logo was designed by James Mayle, and audio production is by Hannah Varrell. Thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.